This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Garden of Sound. I'm your host, Ian Turner. Garden of Sound is proudly sponsored by miniquiz.com. On today's show, denim-clad storyteller Don Coulter. First, I'd really appreciate if you enjoy today's show to subscribe. Just head to gardenofsound.nz and hit the subscribe button on the front page. That'll give you plenty of ways to never miss a moment of what's happening on the Canterbury slash New Zealand music scene. Right, Don Coulter. He's recently released his debut album, One Sin at a Time, at a sprightly 70-something years of age. But what makes the story more amazing is the 50 years spent not making music. There's tales of woe and some poor decisions made along the way, but we, the listening public, are that much richer for all those years Don spent in the musical wilderness. Today's show merely scratches the surface of the man they call Denim Don. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Denim Don Coulter on Plains FM 96.9. Don, have you got any recollection of the first time you remember hearing music? Yeah, certainly. Uh, in, in our house, household as a kid growing up in State House in Rickerton, the Sunday request session would be on and... Virtually the same songs every time. There was the Bing Crosby's yep. and uh, Gracie Fields and that sort of thing. And they would actually read out the names of everyone that wrote in and requested it. That's nice. So we would listen to this on a Sunday. My old man was another story. He wasn't uh, brilliant. But on a Sunday, if he'd had a good day at the races on Saturday, he would open a flag and a beer and us kids would get a shandy. And we'd listen to the Sunday request. So in amongst this Pink Crosby and this sort of stuff, one day this song came out that's the first thing I can remember thinking, what the hell is this? And what was that? <laughs> that was that Rock Island Line. Okay. I didn't realise at the time, I mean, this was a fellow, Lonnie Donegan, who then went on to become well-known as a skiffle singer, singing novelty songs like My Old Man's a Dustman and Does Your Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavour? But in, in actual fact, he was pure country, and he's a Scotsman singing this uh, Rock Island line, and he did another one, Big Grand Coolie Dan. He was singing songs in America with a what I now term Americana. It's still the stuff I love. Let's just take a, a step back. We're sort of circa late 1940s at this point, I imagine, or thereabouts. Uh, well, I'm born 43. I'd have been about... Ten. Okay. Ten. So yeah. early, early fifties. Yep, yep. Did you feel like you had um, any affinity to actually performing? Did you sing along to this stuff? I, I always sang to myself. I've always, as long as I remember, sung to myself. Uh, my old man was a whistler, mm-hmm. but no, I always, always sang to myself. Was it just whistling from your father? Oh, uh, yeah. He 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 would sing a bit. Yeah. And my two brothers weren't musically inclined at all. Your mum left at an early age. Did you ever sort of catch up with her her again? Did she I, have any musical talent? I certainly did. My my lovely mother asked for very little from this world and got less than that. 
And uh, she, uh, I remember the day she left, I was three and a half, never thinking that she wouldn't get back to us kids, but she didn't. Such was, it would never happen in this day and age. My old man, us kids were told if there was ever well-dressed people in a flash car pulled up at the gate to hide, there'd be social welfare and, and you know what'll happen to you if social welfare get hold of you. So we were, we were well-schooled up and virtually schooled to be anti my mother. So did you reconnect? I did. When I was about 12, it was about the time the old man got sick of me running away from home. Yeah. And I actually got to stay with my mother, who by that time inherited this completely out of control, lovely little boy of hers who was a habitual truant and a proper little prick, really. Yeah. <laughs> so my poor mother. But here's another musical thing. My mother had an old uh, Gloria radiogram, and she had a few records, but she had this, I think it was a 33 and a third compilation that had a song on it, Honky Tonk Angels. I must have just about killed that record with picking up and putting it back down again, because <laughs> being on a vinyl, you had to sort of uh, move the arm across, and I played and played and played that Honky Tonk Angel. So at age of about 12, I heard a song that, this is me. Mm-hmm. And if you know the song now, it's it could be released today. Yeah. I think it was Hank Snow okay. version he had. There's lots of versions of that song. Yeah. So where did um, guitar come into it? You were singing and singing to yourself. Once I got with my mother, and it was near high school age, I uh, went to Christchurch Tech, got a job after school delivering shoes on a push bike for a, a shoe shop. I, I can't recall how I got to come to take guitar lessons, but a fellow, Tony Athfield, who was a high school student, he went to Boys High, mm. and he was teaching mm-hmm. in a wee studio on Manchester Street, yeah. and he had this gorgeous Maiden guitar, and he was, oh, he was selling. So, of course, I went out to Morris Liebert Studios in Armagh Street in Christchurch and brought myself an Antoria Blonde Cutaway. Antoria and, uh, Blonde Cutaway. That's amazing. I, and I think Tony was quite disgusted. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> well, it, it, to be quite honest, it was a prick of a guitar to play. I think it had a bit of a bend in the neck. Oh, no. And uh, it, it looked awesome, but it was not a good guitar to play. But okay. I think Tony was sort of, why didn't you ask me? <laughs> for the for the advice. So uh, there were some formal guitar lessons. There, were, there was music. Well, what did Christchurch Tech become? Uh, it's now a vacant building on the corner of uh, uh, Barbados and Morehouse Ave. Okay, wow. Where the, where the Polytech sort of is there. Part oh, of it, yeah. wow, okay, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, wow, okay. And I, I didn't attend possibly about as often as I did attend. Okay. My habitual truancy continued. Yeah. But anyway, I bought this guitar and took lessons. When my first job was in the post office delivering telegrams on a push bike, and I was working out of Sydney Post Office. Mm-hmm. And over that two or three years, I just lived music. You mm-hmm. know, the Everly Brothers yep. and, and Connie Francis, Elvis, of course. Yes. I would strum away on this guitar. I remember the first song I got taught was uh, All Night, All Day, Mary Ann, Down by the Seaside. You know, three-chord thing. I think it yep. only had two chords, actually. Yeah, yeah. But these couple of mates and I would go into town on a Friday night, buy fish and chips, yep. sit down by the Avon River, and we would, the three of us, would harmonise singing these uh, Bill Haley, Ricky Nelson, yep. Paul Anker, those songs. So yep. I was right into it. Yep. But 
Through my post office, I moved up to Trentham Post Office Hostel to train as a teleprinter, would you believe, Morse code operator. Okay. I'd been into guitar lessons for about 12 months and was just starting to learn what I should have been learning. And uh, I got introduced, when I got up to the Trentham Post Office Hostel, we had folk, and it was a fascinating place. It was folk from all over the country. And I got in with the Maori boys from the North Island, strummer guitars, and I guess I learned bad habits. And I've never mastered finger-picking. I've always just been a strummer. So, yeah, so that was the end of guitar lessons. Okay. So I was 12 months in Trentham Post Office Hostel. Yes. And I brought a record player with a wee radio in it, in Mm -hmm. front of it. Yep. And I couldn't afford to buy much, but I had had a few 45s. Yeah. And one of the conditions from training as a teleprint operator and Morse code operator, which mm. I qualified as, but mm. never touched a Morse key again in my life. <laughs> you had to accept the transfer to wherever they put you. Yes. And our instructor there used to look at me and say, Coulter, Stuart Island. <laughs> and when the day came, he called me up. He says, Bugger, I just missed you going to Invercargill. <laughs> okay. So I came down to Invercargill with one bag of clothes and a suitcase. Okay. So cardboard guitar case in my hand. Yeah. Got off the train. This is still the the cutaway. This is still the Victoria cutaway. Uh, Got off the train and the post office is only a block away from the station. So walked straight up to the the post office and got up to the building up there. And people saying, he's got a guitar. So that was on a Thursday and I went to my first party in Invercargill on the Saturday. Wow, okay. So one of the young fellows that worked in the post office up there in the teleprinter operating room was a fellow who played drums in a, a young band, a fellow Hope, I think his name was, and he played with a fellow, um, Paul Browning. Okay. And they had a wee band. So the music scene was pretty young, pretty small then. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I ended up getting up on the stage with this Paul Brown and doing mm-hmm. a couple of songs and pretty simple three chord stuff. Yep. But then I formed Band of Moan. My, I had another post office mate who played drums in a bugle band. That was his experience. Mm-hmm. And another fellow that played piano, what we'd call square music on a piano, but mm-hmm. three of us. So we became one of the bands that played in Invercargill. There's a St Mary's Hall in Invercargill, still there. And there was a Catholic priest who started what was called a club. It was the Roxy Club. Mm-hmm. So you'd have a, be a membership. Yep. It was a way round of having a dance on a Sunday. Uh-huh. Okay. So we became one of the bands that played up at the St. Mary's Hall. That seems very forward for a small town in Vicargill, um and I guess the church. Or is that sort of, you know, happening all over the country, that kind no, of thing? No, it wasn't. It was very unusual. And I mean, this fellow was one of these fellows who had a great caring for youth. Okay. And he did this. Yeah. And I thought I had it made. I had the James Dean haircut and and, uh, and this wee radio I had, for some reason or other, holding on to the aerial wire, after midnight, I could pick up an Australian station. Okay. And in those days music that hit Australia weeks before it got here. So yes. I was getting Fats Domino songs and that. Oh, wow. And we would, we would sing them and people would say, where'd you get that song from? Yeah. 
So anyway, they had a, they had a talent quest up there in Invercargill and one of the radio announcers was the judge. And me and my two mates got up and amongst all the, the Maori boys from the Freezing Works Bluff that did the and we did um, Red Sails in the Sunset, which was completely different to what anyone else was playing there at this time. I think it was a, a Fats Domino or okay. Tab Hunter version I did. Yeah. And the other bands are pretty annoyed at us, young buggers getting up there. <laughs> Everyone thought the Maori boys from Bluff would win this talent quest. Yeah. Uh, never got a prize for it yet. <laughs> but at that point, you thought you had it made. Oh, I thought I had it made. I had the James Dean haircut and I thought, you know, it's all this, this is good. I'm going to stop you there because it is time for some music. One of the artists that you have talked about already uh, going back is Lonnie Donegan. Um, so the song we're going to hear now is... Rock Island Line. Now this is the story about the Rock Island Line. Now the Rock Island Line is a railroad line and it runs down into New Orleans. And just outside of New Orleans is a, a big toll gate. And all the trains that go through the toll gate, why, they got to pay the man some money. Unless, of course, they got certain things on board and they're okay and they don't ever have to pay the man nothing. And right now we see a train, she's coming on down the line and when she get up near to the toll gate, the, uh, the depot agent shout down to the driver. He want to know what he got on board. So he say, uh, what you got on board there, boy? And the driver, he sing right on back down the depot agent, tell him what he got on board. Yeah, the way he sing. I got sheep, I got cows, I got horses, I got pigs. I got all the livestock, I got all the livestock, I got all the livestock. And the man said, well, he said, you're all right then, boy. You don't have to pay me nothing. Just get him on through. So the train goes through the toll gate, and as it goes through, he got up a little bit of steam and a, a little bit of speed. And when he's safely on the other side of the toll gate, the, the driver shout back down the line to the man. Of course, you don't care what he say now. Go on home and go on down the Rock Island line. So he said, but I fooled you, I fooled you. I got pig iron, I got pig iron, I got all pig iron. He said, tell you I'm going, boy. Going down the Rock Island line. Yes, yes, he's a mighty good road. Oh, well, the Rock Island Line, she's a mighty good road. The Rock Island Line is a road to ride it. The Rock Island Line, she's a mighty good road. And if you want to ride, you got to ride it like a find you get your ticket at the station on the Rock Island Line. Well, I may be right, I may be wrong. I know you're going to miss me when I'm gone. Down the Rock Island Line, she's a mighty good road. The Rock Island Line is a road to ride it. The Rock Island Line, she's a mighty good road. And if you want to ride, you got to ride it like a find you get your ticket at the station on the Rock Island Line. Rock on the line, I see the money good road Rock on the line, I see the money good road And if you want to ride, you gotta ride it Like a find you get your ticket at the station on the Rock on the line Rock on the line, I see the money good road Rock on the line, I see the money good road And if you want to ride, you gotta
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Don Coulter on Plains FM 96.9. That is the first time I've heard that song. Don, what was it like hearing it for the first time for you? I really thought, you know, I'd have been, what, 10-ish? Yeah. I thought, what the hell is that? It's yeah. right, Bing Crosby. And it just blew me away. As I say, that's before Elvis. Or any of them appeared on it. There's so much going on in that song because you've got the the storytelling side of it. Yep, yep. It's tremendously rhythmic, but it feels like it's bridging a gap between, let's say, something that's a little straight, but also then the stuff that then happened in the '60s. The kind of let's go a bit wild and crazy. Yep. I mean, it really feels before its time. And I mean, he never got credited with. Being a country, I mean, that, yeah. that's that song is what I now call Americana, and this was a Scotsman. Okay, and, and that accent as well—that's something else. Yeah. That whole that whole singing voice. Yeah. So you're down in Invercargill. Uh, you're working for the post office. Yep, telephone s- operator still, yep. but there's still some stuff happening in Christchurch at the same time. Going back to when those two mates and I used to go into Christchurch on a Friday night. Yes. Uh, eat our fish and chips, and I, I met a young girl. Okay. Disappeared off the scene while I was in Trentham. Yep. Broke my bloody heart, of course. Yes. But she appeared back on the scene mm-hmm. when I was in Invercargill. Okay. With an agenda. <laughs> and as, as, so the massive U-turn. Okay. I left the post office. Yep. Uh, came back to Christchurch. Yep. Uh, they were shattered at the at the post office. My mother drove down, tried to talk sense into me. No, I came back to Christchurch. So you couldn't just get a transfer? <sighs> I didn't try. I just okay. tried, just tried. Yep, sure. About a year later, I was married at 18. Okay. And we commenced to have uh, three girls under the age of five. Okay. And then adopted a boy. Fantastic. So I had four kids at a young age. Okay. And music sort of went out the window. We, okay. we had, a, had a reel-to-reel tape recorder, yep. which I taped very poor quality songs off the radio, the Bee Gees and stuff like that. Okay. My girls loved the music. Yep. But all thoughts of standing up on a stage or carrying on singing disappeared. And to be quite honest, I cannot remember what happened to that Antoria guitar. Ah. I just cannot for the life of remember what. Did it get chucked out? Oh, I suppose it got sold or given away or something. Oh, dear. So then it ended a stage of working huge hours, long hours. What were you working at as? Uh, I worked at the carpet factory. Okay. Yes. And did a did night shift at the carpet factory and uh, worked huge hours. My wife at the time, my first wife, she was a good worker as well. But So just to take a step back, so when you say the agenda, was this to to nab this, this prior love, bring him back? Yep. yep. There we go. Get a husband. Get, get yeah, sorted. Yep. So you're not actually playing music at this point. You're working the long hours at the carpet yep. factory. You've got the lovely girls and you've got the, the boy that you've um, adopted mm-hmm. as well. What about gigs coming through town? You got any um, oh. any memories of any great shows? Before, I suppose during that stage, before I went to uh, Trentham even, I saw the Everly Brothers, mm-hmm. uh, Cliff Richards. Here they weren't awesome shows actually because I, I think the Everly Brothers in particular used a New Zealand backing group that completely drowned them out. <laughs> but these working these long hours and that, and at the car, I'll get to a gig, 
the carb factory, a lot of horse people work there, people in the racing industry. And I developed an interest. I wanted to breed standard breeds. So we'd worked our guts out and bought a 10-acre property at West Melton. Okay. And I built a Framos house on it. Yep. During that time, I think was the most memorable gig I went to at that stage, was at uh, West Melton School where my kids went. There was a fella touring the country talking to parents, you know, the meetings they had at school, and he was espousing the evils of the devil's music. Okay. And we've got this group in the country at present that are praising the use of cannabis. And I'm laughing my tits off. I think, hell, I've got a ticket to go and see them. (laughs) And who was it? Dr. Hook. Dr. Hook, okay. Dr. Hook. I loved them to bits, and I still do. Yeah. Here again, they got pigeonholed doing a lot of novelty stuff, but Shel Silverstein wrote a lot of Dr. Hook stuff, wrote some gorgeous stuff as well. Yeah. That Dr. Hook gig was the first gig I can say that really blew me away. Where was that? Where did they perform? In the Theatre Royal in Christchurch. Oh, okay. Okay. So a a seated gig. Yep. Yeah. So what sort of, circa, what sort of time are we talking about? What year? Uh, 68 odd. Okay. So late... Late sixties. What was what was happening music wise in Christchurch at that point? Any memorable sort of clubs or venues? No, I was as I say, I was out at West Melton. Yeah. To back off a little bit before even before I went to Trentham, we had a local hero in Christchurch, Max Merritt. Yep. So if you want to call them gigs, that was their local dance. Yep. Max who passed away just last year. Actually. Yes. So yeah, that was the main Christchurch scene. Okay. But no, once I was out at West Melton there, okay. no, there's no. It was horses in the country. Trying to breed horses. Yep. Country built a house and... And music sort of passed by the wayside. Passed by the wayside and then 15 years of marriage collapsed in a heap. Okay. okay. So did I. All right. What happened there? It's a long story, but uh, completely beyond my control. Yeah. And I virtually turned into a, an amitriptyline zombie okay. for a couple of years. I okay. had a complete breakdown and I yep. was, I was uh, shot to bits. So this is a combination, I imagine, of the relationship and the working too hard and things just get on top of you. And the working. And we, we had a $20,000 mortgage, which <laughs> you'd laugh at nowadays. But, but then. due to the marriage breakup, there were no longer two committing to pay the mortgage. Yeah. Uh, I look back now, it was like clear thinking, I guess it could have been saved, but I lost a lot. Then I made my second huge mistake. I uh, got married again. Never get in a relationship when you're on a trip to lead. <laughs> Your thinking's not there. Okay. Economically, what the hell was we going to do? Uh, I, I had a, a new wife who had two children of her own. Okay. I still had four of my own, which I was not getting a, a, uh, a clean run at trying to bring up on my own. So economically, my new wife and I, and her two kids and a couple, two of mine, Moved to Waimati. Okay. We could buy a house in Waimati for 10 grand. Okay. We couldn't buy anything here. So. No. So that was the next big U-turn. What did Waimati have to offer? Um, I'm presuming this is the 70s? Yep. Cheap cheap properties. Okay. Uh, one of those friends we used to sing uptown with had relatives in Waimati, and we used to go down there in his little Austin 7 on a weekend. Yeah. That was my connection with Waimati. I thought, oh, we'll go and have a look if we could buy a place in Waimati. Any pubs or venues that you can remember? Well, no, I wasn't into venue. Here again, it was just more of the same. Yep. 
back into work. I, I got a job at the freezing works for a year. Okay. And then I got a job on the ministry works on roading. Okay. And so it was more of the same, working long hours. And after a few years, I got back into another 10-acre property. Okay. Real rough 10 acres. Yep. One thing I hung on to yes. was my broodmare horse. Okay. Through all my breakdown and like, I had one thing I was going to hang on to, and yep. that was my horse. Okay. So uh, we were on this 10 acres, working long hours at the Ministry Works, plus we brought a cleaning business, and I would work all day at the Ministry Works, come home, join my wife, and we would work cleaning, commercial cleaning, until, say, half past eight at night. Okay. So as you can see, there wasn't a lot of time for... For music. For music. Okay, I have to ask at this point, you say sort of lack of clear thinking at some points. Looking back, what... Have you learnt from all of these trials and tribulations? See, I often think, what have I done anything different? Uh, I guess I was just surviving day by day. Yeah. And when you're on something like amitriptyline and, and, and suffering depression, yeah. you don't make good decisions. Okay. So looking back, I think, had I been able to step back and just think clearer. Was there a lack of support around you? I had had support from various family members. Yeah. I had a brother. I had some good friends. Yeah. Still good friends. So yes, I did have good support. Yeah. But it was completely beyond my control. Uh, uh, the other half was just, well, it was pretty advers adversatorial, if that's the word. Yeah. So I was pretty bloody miserable. Okay. At that point, we are going to go into some, some more music because we don't end on a sour note, things <laughs> do begin looking up for Don Coulter. Now, I do ask at this point um, a favourite track um, going back, and um, what have we got to play at this point? Well, at that stage in Waimati, there was a record shop opened in Waimati, and I brought three albums, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, and a Chris Christopherson, and that was my music collection. Mm -hmm. And one of those songs on that was... Chris Christopherson. Well, there were two on that album, uh, Sunday Morning Going Down and The Pilgrim. And they were songs that I thought, man, I wish I could write lines like that. Yeah. The toss-up between the two, but The Pilgrim, to me, what a bit of songwriting. What lines that fella wrote. Uh, so that, I guess, is a huge influence on what I write. I started writing this song about Chris Gantry end up writing about Dennis Hopper and Johnny Cash and Norman Norbert, Funky Donnie Fred, Billy Swan, Bobby Newerth, Jerry Jeff Walker and Paul Siebel and Ramblin' Jack Elliott had a lot to do with it. See him wasted on the sidewalk In his jacket and his jeans Wearing yesterday's misfortunes like a smile Once he had a future full of money, love and dreams Would you spend like they was going out of style And he keeps right on a change For the better or the worse 
Searching for a shrine he's never found Never knowing if believing is a blessing or a curse Or if the going up was worth the coming down He's a poet and he's a picker He's a prophet and he's a pusher He's a pilgrim and a preacher And a problem when he's stoned He's a walking contradiction Partly truth and partly fiction Taking every wrong direction On his lonely way back home He has tasted good and evil Bedrooms and your bars And he's trading in tomorrow for today Running from his devil's lord Reaching for the stars Losing all the love along the way But if this world keeps right on turning For the better or the worse And all he ever gets is older and around From the rocking of the cradle to the rolling of the hearse The going up was worth coming down He's a poet and he's a picker He's a prophet and he's a pusher He's a pilgrim and a preacher And a problem when he's stoned He's a walking contradiction Partly truth and partly fiction Taking every wrong direction on his lonely way back home. There's a lot of wrong directions on that lonely way back home. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Denim Don Coulter on Plains FM 96.9. There's only one way to settle this. There is another way. Visit miniquiz.com and see how your general knowledge stacks up against friends, family and Darren down the road. It's free and a great way to get you ready for the big leagues. Visit miniquiz.com now. That's M-I-N-I-Q-W-I-Z.com and show everyone who the quizzed in your neighbourhood really is. Miniquiz.com. Start small and do them all. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Don Coulter on Plains FM 96.9. Don, a little bit of Chris Christopherson there. Very much the storytelling. I want to ask you, what was the moment that got you out of the, the day-to-day grind and back into music? Okay, as I say, I had those three albums that had a great influence on me and writing like that. At the same time, I had a, a neighbour friend there who introduced me to the likes of Guy Clark, John Prine, yes. Towns Van Zant, Billy Joe Shaver, Nancy Griffith. For me, that was a turning point in what I started to listen to. I think it's funny that within me, I knew what I liked, but I didn't know until I heard it. And then I thought, that's, that's what I've been waiting to hear. Around that time, as I say, the relationship I was in there was pretty miserable too. I, somewhere along along the line, acquired an old beaten-up classic guitar. So I started singing these sort of songs to myself in my misery, crying in my beer sort of thing. 
So that was this, that was the easing back into music. About this time, I decided to I was, I was going to have to strike out on my own. I wasn't. I, was, I needed to become myself. Yeah. The classic guitar went out, and I purchased. This was early days of trade me, and I purchased a Sigma Martin guitar. Okay. Bit beaten up, it was sort of like myself. I stepped back on a stage for the first time in fifty years, doing an open mic at uh, Penguin Club in Omaru. Oh, fantastic! Okay. Because you're still living in Waimati at the yep, stage, yeah? Yep, And I did this Billy Joe Shaver song, Ragged Old Truck. It was the first time I got up and sang again since Invercargill. Yeah. So that, you know. Since so that 50 years or thereabouts. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. So also about this time, the relationship split. I struck out on my own. I met a lady who became my soulmate, still my neighbour. She was a storyteller. Yeah. So at this stage, I still didn't consider being a performer singing songs. But I wrote. I started writing stories, and this friend cajoled me into joining a storytellers group in Timaru. Timaru. And we would go around schools, rest homes, telling stories. If you can picture a 60-something-year-old wearing an untucked shirt, a school cap on, catapult tucked in his back pocket, Lining up in front of a classroom of school kids, in character, telling stories. Wow! It was it was brilliant, and I'll tell you, these kids got it. Yeah, they just got it. Yeah, storytelling. Okay, that, that's what I always felt I was. I was a storyteller. Yeah, but I started writing these stories down. Yeah, and this led to me actually writing and uh, vanity producing a storybook, sort of a Doctor Zeus type role. Okay, yeah. I was in my element, telling stories. And then the next big U-turn was uh, moved back to Christchurch. Sold up the house I had. and I'd built another Framos in, on this 10 acres in yep. Waimati, yeah, by yeah. the way. So that was the second Framos I built. Yep. Moved back to my hometown and took up residence in a big American caravan with slide-outs, which I still live in. Okay. So along with that, I'm back in Christchurch. I've got this Sigma Martin guitar. I'm writing story and I'm thinking not a lot different to writing songs. Yeah. So it's still how I write a song. I write a story. Yes. And they become a song. Okay. That's why some of my songs are <laughs> nearly as long as a book. Yep. Uh, it's just the way I write. So the music is there to support the story. Yeah. Okay. As Towns Van Zant I, I use this as an excuse. Towns Van Zant once made the statement Sometimes the damn music gets in the road of the story. Okay. Okay. And that's so as, as a as a musician, I'm a less than average rhythm guitar player. Okay. It's always been one of my big regrets. I just do not handle finger picking. So did the storybook lead to the CD? I guess I produce the book, see the reaction of people that would read it, and it gives you a buzz. And I guess it's the same thing with doing a song. So back in Christchurch, and I started going to open mics, doing mainly my own songs, which had been stories. Mm-hmm. So I'd write stories. That that 50-year hiatus from music, in that 50 years, I gathered an awful lot of stories yep. of, of experiences I'd experienced, I'd observed, or just plain made up. So I never stopped gathering information. Stories that has now become songs I write. 
So I'm back in Christchurch and I started lining up at open mics. And at open mics I met people who've become friends and mentors because I'm a bit of a techno dummy and I sort of need my hand held. <laughs> but I did acquire myself a Boss BR1600 digital recorder. Mm-hmm. That's when I started turning my stories into home-produced songs. These home-produced songs that were pretty rough around the edges, but in a way it's what I liked. It's what I liked doing. Like, like the book I wrote, it was pretty built-in-the-shed style book. That's what I wanted. That's how I wanted it to be. My songs were a bit that way too. But I did get to thinking, maybe I should do these songs justice uh, and record them in a studio. So I did a, a mentoring session with, or two actually, with, with Katie Thompson okay, yep. in Christchurch here yep. and uh, discussed what I, where I wanted to go from here. And she tossed the name of Ryan Fisherman at me and said, wow. he'd, be, he'd be a good mix for you if you want to record your songs. Yep. So, and, she, and she said, you need to get some promo pictures taken. So All the bits. <laughs> Aaron Lee, fellow Aaron Lee, who yep. ran one of the brilliant open mics at Littleton Records and Ferry Road, professional photographer. So I went to Aaron's studio to get some photos taken, and lo and behold, here's a, a black and white photo of this Ryan Fisherman there. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, that's the fella Katie suggested. What was it like working with Ryan? Oh, awesome. So I, I, I flicked Ryan one of my homemade copies. He sent it back to me with some pedal steel added, and straight away I thought, yes, this fella's going to be a good mix. Yeah. So he brought uh, fella Elmore Jones, who's a genius. He's just the most brilliant guitar player, such a laid-back fella. And between the two of them, the big thing was they got what it was I was trying to do. So I lined up there with about 15, 16 songs and we worked worked through some of them and 13 of them ended up becoming the the album One Sin at a Time. That is amazing. Okay, what are we going to hear right now? Uh, Well, number one track on, on the album is a song called Billy and... I genuinely had not intended writing about myself. Okay. This just wrote itself, and it is about someone I know pretty damn well. (laughs) So Billy's track one on the album. Guitar with his first month's pay 
Even though he couldn't play But it was something of his own That he could hold He learned to play as he learned to work And never shirked a chore Never stooped to selling Kirby's Or a Bible door to door And that old guitar went with him Through marriages and kids Breakups and breakdowns Damn near all the skids He had ups and downs Hit the bottom Lost most everything But that old guitar Pulled him through Time and time again It held memories And nightmares A sense of right and wrong And every time He picked it up They shared story And song Now looking Just older And the guitar's been through many sets of strings Now you might find them together Telling stories and songs An old man And a beaten up guitar As a singer he was only less than average But he told a damn good story out of tune He believed in make-believe Had secrets hidden up his sleeve Kept stars in his pockets Wore a tattoo of the moon He's had wins and he's had losses But he's never lost for words There was very little he'd not seen And nothing he'd not heard So if you're feeling lost in life Not sure where you are Go out and buy yourself An old guitar And he's had losses But he's never lost for words There was very little He'd not seen Nothing he'd not heard So if you're feeling lost in life Not sure where you are Go and buy yourself This is the Garden of Sound interview with Don Coulter on Plains FM 96.9. We've just heard the practically autobiographical track, Billy. Um, love the Kirby vacuum cleaners and, uh, and Bibles <laughs> Bibles line. You can really, really, really picture it. Um, some great BVs there from uh, Maddie Smith too. Almost felt a bit Pink Floydy in his, um, in his delivery of that. Um, What's next? What do you want to What do you want to do? 
we did a an album release gig at Greater Goods. Uh, at present, I'm doing another gig on the 2nd of June. I am working with some different musos, mm. different experience, just just how it's happened. So was that first one just you and the guitar? I, I opened for myself. I did the first half purely myself with the guitar, and I did a first set, about a 40-minute set, and then brought the boys on, Elmore and, and Ryan. So this upcoming gig, I'm just trying to do something a little bit different. I have a fellow who's virtually a neighbour, who's a guitar player, very competent guitar player. I have another friend who's coming on the bass, and we've got Tessa, who played violin on the record, who's coming on board. So those three we're putting together to do another gig at Greater Goods. And it'll be different again. There'll be some of those uh, album songs. There'll be some originals that I have not recorded, and there'll be a few covers. So it's going to be a bit of a different gig. Very apprehensive about it, but so we're practicing it at present. Got a few more weeks to go yet. So that's that's what I'm at at present. What's the um What's the last track we're going to hear today? The last track's from a fella who's become a favourite listener for many reasons. Um, fella Gregory Allen Isakoff, Russian-born, okay. lives in the states. Sure. And I just love his music. He's and he does this CD with the Colorado Symphony, and I mean. In amongst this beautiful orchestral stuff, he uses a banjo, this mandolin, and he's one of my favourite listens at present. And uh, this album with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, there's this song on it, If I'm Going. If I go, I'm going. And it just blows me away. Don, you've been a fantastic guest. I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. This house, she's holding secrets. Got my change behind the bed in a coffee can. I throw my nickels in just in case I have to leave. I will go if you ask me to. I will stay if you dare. If I go, I'm going shameless. Let my hunger take me. This house, she's quite the talker She creaks and moans, she keeps me up 
in the photographs Know I'm alive They just laugh As I burn her down I will go If you ask me to I will stay If you dare If I go I'm gone on fire Let my anger take me there And the shingles, man, they're shaking The back door's burning through This old house, she's quite the keeper Quite the keeper Time for my track of the week. And you know I like a bit of rock. This time from the Dead Favours Boys with new member Alex Elvis of Skinny Hobo's fame on bass. From their new album Riffing and Yelling released Friday 21st of May. This is Move On.
Thanks for joining me today on the show. Thanks also to Don Coulter. If you'd like to see Don play live at Greater Goods on the 2nd of June, get to gardenofsound.nz, click on Don's image on the front page, and from there you can find a ticket link to the show. It'll be well worth it. Huge thanks also to our show sponsor, miniquiz.com. That's M-I-N-I-Q-W-I-Z.com for all your free online quizness. I'm Ian Turner. I look forward to bringing you Garden of Sound the same time next week. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Inohora. Inohora.